Hello and welcome to Expert Voices, the podcast that brings together the views of academics, treasurers and bankers to provide unique perspectives on the major trends shaping the corporate treasury profession. I'm Sophie Jackson, Joint Publisher and Head of Strategic Content at the Treasury Today Group. In this episode, I'll be exploring the concept of cybersecurity. By analysing the impact this very real and constantly evolving challenge poses, I hope to shine a light on best practice for treasurers. Barely a week goes by without another story emerging of a large-scale security breach suffered by a global household name company. We're all aware of the importance of cybersecurity and levels of education around it are ever-increasing. However, as I was to find out over the course of this story, this is not a threat that is staying still. No sooner have we improved our security processes than the threat itself has evolved as hackers across the world learn more and grow in confidence and skill set. This challenge is coupled with human error, which for companies remains their largest weakness. So what can we do and how can we share best practice in a space that many are so reluctant still to discuss? To find out, I've spoken to some names at the forefront of the cybersecurity challenge from Nanyang Technological University, Goodyear Orionco and Deutsche Bank. Cybersecurity threat is real and relevant. We constantly battle with cyber crime and we need to stay vigilant all the time. Collaboration is absolutely critical within the community, whether it's the corporate community or within the banking community, and that's exactly what we're doing. When you design the system, think security first. Don't treat it as an afterthought. When you protect your system, always think there could be possibility that you have overlooked. To help set the scene and understand the drivers behind the challenge that cybersecurity poses, I caught up with an expert at Nanyang Technological University in Singapore. Hi, are you Professor Lam? Yes, Sophie from Treasury today. Nice to meet you. Professor Lam teaches computer science at the university, and I began by spending the day there with the professor to understand his work in the space and what the Treasury community should be focusing its attentions on. His research specialities include homeland security, biometric cryptography, and cybersecurity. So he was the perfect person to catch up with in Singapore. First of all, if you could tell me what you think the main developments over the last 10 years have been in the cybersecurity space. Of course, from the angle of the opponents or the attackers or your enemies, is uh, they're getting more and more sophisticated, probably stay funded attackers. Uh, you don't know where they are. They can be very persistent. So that is one side of it. On the other side, to the corporate world, the problem that can be observed in this trend is probably two things. One is the evolution or the, the wide adoption of mobile. Especially, I mean, people can witness the use of smartphone for the past 10 years. Then, the other problem that we observed is the widespread use of open source. Now, what it means to us is that if there's any security loophole due to design problems or due to implementation oversight, that problem will spread to all the applications that is relying on that open source. So it makes it a lot more lucrative to attackers to look for those what we call vulnerabilities 
And once they found the vulnerabilities, they kept to themselves and, and start to launch attacks. Uh, and then when the attack happens, it could be quite large and catastrophic scale. So if we think about the types of worries that people have, like access to data and electronic transactions, obviously seem to be the more obvious forms of cybersecurity that corporate treasurers need to be conscious of. Mm -hmm. But what else do you think people should be aware of? I think the old school of looking at security is basically data or transactions. But now we need to look at it as a system because it's your application system. So in fact, we can see that a lot of attack is not about breaking the protection or encryption of your data. It's that they find loopholes in the software design, loopholes in the network configurations to come in. And that's why the latest uh, trend of looking at cybersecurity is to treat it as a system engineering discipline. So it's because there is no one-size-fits-all security approach to all the problems. And, and furthermore, even in the corporate world, we have transactions, we have data, and they have all different levels of risk. And for very sensitive transactions, or like multi-million dollar transactions, you probably will commit a lot more resource to protect them. But for lower risk transactions, you will see is the offer is too high to justify for the stringent protection. So most likely, we will need to have some differentiation uh, when we protect the system. Okay, absolutely. And earlier on, you touched on the fact that mobile is driving a lot of um, the, the new insecurities. Do you think that that represents a new challenge or more of the same? It is a new challenge. The security community spent quite a number of years to get to the kind of uh, experience and methodologies to, to deal with security issues in server, in PC. Uh, with the use of mobile, most of this knowledge or techniques that people develop for the past few decades may not be applicable, mainly because our mobile devices have limited computing power. So it will be less likely that you have an antivirus software on your mobile phone. And even if your phone is powerful enough to run the antivirus soft tools, you may think I better switch it off because it consumes my battery. So these are some of the what I call resource constraints of mobile devices that lead to the situation that uh, they tend to be more vulnerable or less protected than the more traditional devices. If we think about digital identity, mm. how important do you think this is and what, what do we need to be thinking about in that space? It's certainly important basically in the cyberspace or in the digital world. In the past people's experiences, I have one internet banking account, I have one user ID, I have another account, I have another user ID. So you have so many different IDs. Managing, remembering all this ID is a problem itself. And if you do it in the easy way, write down somewhere, store in a file, it creates another security <laughs> loophole. So the easiest may be, okay, we use our traditional identification method like your passport number or your, your in some countries, especially in Asia, we have lots of countries have ID card. ID card information is tend to be treated as very sensitive. So if we don't want to have application or service specific ID, and we don't want to use our own long-term ID, then the best approximation is probably to look at a long-term ID which is only used in the digital world. And that's the, the nature of the digital ID. So now countries start to look at how to map or associate a digital ID which is 
a link to the physical ID, but in the in the cyberspace, you only transmit or, or, or use make use of the digital ID, which at least if there's a need to, you can change it, you can revoke it. Whereas in the case of your long-term physical ID, for regulatory reasons, for legal reasons, you just cannot change. Mm. Alongside that, what risk do you think people's increasing adoption of the use of cloud represents? I mean, I know that certainly when I think about our audience, a lot of people are very anxious about the use mm. of the cloud. Mm. What, what do you think about this space and the security risk that it may or may not pose? In terms of security design or philosophy, it's a major shift from the old traditional way of protecting your data. We're seeing a lot of people for convenience. They sometimes, from their enterprise account, they access some of the corporate data. Then for convenience, they just save a copy in the cloud. So if there's any security attack on data leakage of the cloud, then they will get it immediately. So how to come up with a strategy or, or approach to guide a more responsible way or secure way to use the cloud is one thing, but how to enforce it is a different matter. So that's why we, when we talk about security, we always say the biggest challenge in security is the human factor. You can have the strongest encryption, but they misplace the key. You can have the longest password, but they forgot about the password. They write it down somewhere. <laughs> so the biggest challenge is always the human factor. If we think holistically about where we are now and we're in an era of constant disruption, we've got the era of automation and robotics, but as you mentioned, humans still remain at the centre of all of our businesses. So if we think ahead to like the next five or ten years, do you see this becoming more and more of an issue? Or do you think that we might reach a breakthrough and become more secure again? Based on what we saw in the past 30 years, it will become more and more of an issue. Unless it comes to a point that some really disastrous incident happened, uh, like people keep saying, the whole internet itself was not designed or implemented for security protection. It's just for enabling communications. And among a group of mutually trusted academic or researchers. So it starts with the design philosophy to optimize performance rather than security. So, of course, now we also start to see efforts to look at whether we can redesign certain security or communication protocols that can put security as a design criteria up front. But again, it's a matter of a catching up game. I mean, you can design, you can design very fast, but user also move very fast. And we saw this very often. When people have a new idea, business idea, they want to implement, they want to call it proof of concept, they see it first. But the moment they see it valuable, see it useful, they say, I want to get it done immediately. I want to turn it, this into a product, into a service, into something revenue generating uh, system, ASAP. So then the warnings about security by design will be gone. <laughs> yeah. So if we deal with the next 10 years, like the way we handled the past 30 years, I think the problem will be only be getting worse. <laughs> that was Professor Lam at the Nanyang Technological University in Singapore, with some fascinating insights into cybersecurity and some great guidance for our community. I wonder what the shape of the internet of the future may be. I now wanted to know if corporate treasurers are looking at cybersecurity as much as Professor Lam advises and wanted to explore the best practice that some are putting into place to help our profession move forwards. Hi Sophie, my name is James Ho. 
I am the Goodyear Regional Treasury Managers and Compliance Officer for Asia-Pacific region. In order to find out more, I called James Ho, Regional Treasury Manager at Goodyear Orient Co in Singapore, to learn how he's approaching this trend. So James, do you feel that cyber is a threat that can be controlled? Cyber security threat is real and relevant. We constantly battle with cyber crime and we need to stay vigilant all the time. We are one of the key players globally and we live in the global economics and become increasingly complex to do business. So in my opinion, cyber threat is risk to the company, but if we manage carefully and by adopting an effective strategy and allocate the resources, the cyber threat can be controlled. How much do you think it's the responsibility of Treasury to educate the rest of the business about financial crime? Yeah, in my opinion, Treasury play a key role to educate the business about the financial crime uh, for the two reasons. I think, first of all, we are the in-house expert. We manage the company financial activities. We are qualified professionals who know the bank's product. Secondly, we are the gatekeeper. As you know, Treasury operation, we involve all the financial activities, like the payments process, and, and we are the one that who review the board resolutions and set up the authorization approval metrics. So given our knowledge and our job scope, uh, in my opinion, we do have obligations to play a key role to educate the business related to cybersecurity crime. Fantastic. And what are you doing at the moment to contain the threat? We here as a company, uh, we work as a team including the Treasury, the IT, and all the business support departments, we adopt a holistic approach to face the cybersecurity threat. I think, first of all, we adopt a defensive approach. We have a company policy that provides the directive, and our goal is to protect the company assets, like our web page, and also the mission-critical applications. We also allocate resources, so we employ a dedicated global a cybersecurity team to enforce the policy. So uh, Goodyear make sure that the, we allocate the resources uh, to hire professionals and a dedicated team to address the cybercrime. Goodyear also adopt a proactive approach. Firstly, we have this education and trainings. We constantly go through these online trainings to bring the business awareness related to the cybersecurity activities like fish email. So Guia Associates will need to attend and pass all this online training. Secondly, we have a very rigorous procedures and control process uh, related to the master data change, like changing the beneficiary address. We never allow the associate to execute any actions change which is in breach on the company policy and protocol. Any such master data change, you require approvals and the four eyes checked. If you, we discover any fish email allow us to change those master data, we are encouraged to call up the hotlines and all to talk to our managers. And finally, we constantly share all these new findings and the best practice via our internal communication email. As James just illustrated, we're operating in interesting and challenging times, and I think the ever-evolving cybersecurity threat is fascinating.
I next spoke with Deutsche Bank about cybersecurity to learn the ways in which they are supporting treasurers in the fight against cyber fraud and to gain some practical guidance. Hi, Sophie. Great to speak to you. Calling here uh, from Singapore. Uh, my name is Suman, Suman Chaki. I run the corporate cash business uh, for Deutsche Bank in Asia Pacific. Suman Chaki is Managing Director, Regional Head of Cash Management for Corporates, APAC, at Deutsche Bank, and he had plenty to say on this topic. Here's what I found out. From a general banking perspective, do you think the threat of cybercrime is one that is becoming more manageable these days? Definitely, banks today and other players in the market are better prepared than probably what they were, let's say, a couple of years back. But that doesn't mean that we've kind of reached a situation where everybody can say we are comfortable because this is a constantly evolving topic where the threat actors uh, are getting more and more sophisticated and their attacks are getting more complex. On the other hand, the level of awareness of this amongst the employees uh, who are really the first uh, point of control and probably the most vulnerable link in the whole scheme of things is a lot better today than what it was two years back or even a year back, right? So that gives a lot more strength uh, to this whole protection scheme uh, against uh, against cybersecurity. And that's a continuous process of training that we have done across all our employees. And it's a constant process that gets uh, reiterated every three to six months. What specific threats are you working on right now for your corporate clients? Yeah, so I think that the three kind of threats that uh, one gets exposed to, generally speaking. Uh, so one is obviously a protection of confidential data because bank is all about having client data and anything that creates a threat to that data being uh, unethically or unlawfully exposed is a big threat. And number two is fraudulent transaction. And this is becoming increasingly prevalent, increasingly prominent, increasingly a very serious risk uh, to the bank and to its clients. And, and the third one is really about insider threats, where basically a threat actor, an external party, gets control over the bank system or a corporate system and starts uh, posing as an insider, uh, and that then starts creating havoc. To give a real-life example, this was uh, for a reasonably large global international sign. The MD of the company got an email from the international CEO of the company uh, to pay half a million, it's not an exact amount, 500,000 as fees, consulting fees uh, to a beneficiary name. That sounded pretty legitimate and, and stuff like that. Then the MD passed on that email to the CFO on a Thursday evening with a request that this uh, payment needs to be done very urgently because this is coming from the international CEO. And then the transaction came into the bank through absolutely bona fide means, through proper electronic banking, uh, approved transaction. So nothing for the bank to be worried about. Proper beneficiary name, bank code, I have accounts, etc. The only thing was that, that the CFO was under pressure from the MD that this payment needs to be released before cut-off time. It's an international payment. Our coverage banker was uh, getting follow-ups that can we get this payment out quickly, um, which we did because it's one of our prime clients. A couple of hours later, the, the MD of the company realized that the email address looks tampered. And uh, that gave, uh, gave a concern to him. He looked at it, looked up at it, quickly takes some internal checks and realized completely compromised. This is, a, this is a fraudulent email message from his international CEO. This is now 8 o'clock in the evening because the transaction is already gone. Uh, that calls up the, the CFO and the CFO is on his panic buttons, calls up our relationship manager. It's like past midnight. The relationship manager, luckily, is one of those guys who stays late in the office. And uh, by then, the, the, the transaction has already hit uh, the beneficiary's account, 
in another jurisdiction. It's a cross-border payment. So we get in touch with the bank because, you know, at least the banking community is kind of well-connected. The bank where the beneficiary's account is in the other jurisdiction, there's a police complaint, the FIR filed in luckily by the, by the client. And then there's, there's international connection with the police. This is less than a month back, right? This is like three weeks ago. As we speak, I was trying to get an update on where we are. The money is still in the beneficiary's bank account in the other bank, but it is put under, under lock by the police in the other jurisdiction. So this is a very real-life situation in a pretty large global multinational company where this has happened in real life. Right? So this kind of stuff happens quite often. Uh, it happens within the bank. We, we get emails with all sorts of things. It's really the awareness levels of these companies to understand whether or not we should act on an email instruction, even if it came from the international CEO. So what this example shows is to reiterate the fact that really our first line of defense are our employees across the rank and file, at the junior level, right up to the senior levels, because very often these instructions actually hit from to a very senior level so that it gets the weight behind the transaction. Secondly, very often these are simple tools. This is no sophisticated launching a software into somebody's ecosystem. It's a simple email that was just uh, manipulated. And the third thing is the constant vigilance that the finance uh, organization in the company will need to have to ensure that everything that is coming in and the processes that are putting in place to approve a finance transaction has to be very, very tight and rather than based on emails and stuff like that. To what extent is the client now responsible for their own cybersecurity or should be? Everybody across the chain have to take responsibility of their part, right? In this example, contractually, there is nothing that the client can bring the bank on. Because the bank has received a properly bona fide transaction, there is nothing to smell irregular in this transaction. It's a fraud that has been perpetrated at the client's end. So to that extent, obviously the client has the full responsibility to create this level of awareness between his employees across the rank and file of the company to understand what the implications of this kind of thing. Now, this one, if you ask me, is less about cybersecurity. It's somewhere a cusp between cybersecurity and, and a fraud, right? There's an interesting piece of uh, data that we had kind of done a survey back in December 2016, uh, which said that uh, 99% of uh, cyber threats or cyber attacks that were created at any organization were by clicking on emails that you're not supposed to click upon. 99%. Right? Wow. Now, that's so obvious. But still, that is the weakest link. So just like the bank keeps on doing training, I mean, I, I have to do a training myself. I know every member in my team has to do a training on this every three months just to keep us aware that don't click on emails that look fishy, that look suspicious. That's the level of training that corporates need to do. Banks have been a bit more advanced because banks deal in information and banks are the biggest threat. But increasingly, corporates are also coming more under threat. And they need to constantly do these kind of training, uh, awareness, and take that responsibility that cybersecurity is real and we need to do our bit to protect ourselves from this. So what role do you play as a bank in promoting that? We play a significant role in, in doing that. One, because banks have been early investors in this space. Just take our own example. We have like four cybersecurity hubs around the world that is monitoring the bank system for all kind of external internal threats 24 by 7. And it's kind of almost our responsibility to ensure that our we pass on this level of understanding and training and awareness to our corporate clients who have come into this space much later. So 
What we do is regular seminars on this topic. We invite corporate clients to our cybersecurity center. We simulate you know, in real life environment of how a threat might look like. What are some of the simple tips that uh, the client staff should be bearing in mind? What kind of training they should be doing? Fantastic. And so obviously we've talked a lot here about prevention and raising awareness, but the reality is that the vast majority, in fact, I would hazard a guess that all corporations will suffer some sort of loss at some moment. So on that note, to be prepared, do you think that treasurers should be ensuring themselves against cyber losses? Clearly an area that one should look at, right, uh, to also find out what's really available. It's a very, very evolving space. It's not like a developed insurance market where you know exactly what you're covering. For example, we cover ourselves uh, from, from cyber losses as a bank, absolutely, because it's, it's a real threat, it's a real risk. going to become, if not already, as big as a financial risk, so it's categorized as a non-financial risk, but it's going to become probably as big or even bigger than financial risk. That was Sue Manchaki, Managing Director, Regional Head of Cash Management Corporates, APAC at Deutsche Bank. Thanks for listening to this episode of Expert Voices. I've been Sophie Jackson from the Treasury Today Group. Thanks to our guests, Professor Lam from Nanyang Technological University in Singapore, James Ho at Goodyear Orion Co, and of course, Suman Chaki from Deutsche Bank. Thanks to Deutsche Bank for making this podcast possible, and to the Swift Institute for connecting us to their global network of academics. Remember to subscribe to the Expert Voices podcast to get all our latest episodes directly to your device.